Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, my name is Erin and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Spin Master First Quarter 2020 Earnings Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. Thank you. Sophia Basukis, you may begin your conference. Thank you, Erin. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Spin Masters Financial Results Conference Call for the first quarter ended March 31st, 2020. I am joined this morning by Renan Harari, co-CEO and Mark Siegel, Spin Masters Chief Financial Officer. For your convenience, the press release, MD&A, and unaudited interim financial statements for the first quarter 2020 are available on the Investor Relations section of our website at spinmaster.com and on CDAR. Before we begin, please note that remarks on this conference call may contain forward-looking statements about SpinMaster's current and future plans, expectations, intentions, results, levels of activity, performance, goals, or achievements, or any other future events or developments. Forward-looking statements are based on information currently available to management and on estimates and assumptions made based on factors that management believes are appropriate and reasonable in the circumstances. However, there can be no assurance that such estimates and assumptions will prove to be correct. Many factors could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied by the forward-looking statements. As a result, SpinMaster cannot guarantee that any forward-looking statements will materialize, and you are cautioned not to place undue reliance on these forward-looking statements. Except as, may, except as may be required by law, SpinMaster has no obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statements, whether because of new information, future events, or otherwise. For additional information on these assumptions and risks, please consult our cautionary statement regarding forward-looking information contained in the company's earnings release dated May 6, 2020. Please note that SpinMaster reports in U.S. dollars and all dollar amounts to be expressed today are in U.S. currency. I would like, now like to turn the conference call over to Renan. Thank you, Sophia. Good morning, and thanks for joining us today. Like most businesses, we find ourselves navigating through uncharted waters. The COVID-19 pandemic has affected us all, all of us in some way. Work routines have changed, the retail environment has been altered, supply chains have been disrupted, and ultimately, consumer demand for many items has been affected. The important things we want to emphasize today are that while COVID-19 is having a negative impact on our business, our teams are working diligently to address the obstacles in the face of this challenge. We are seeing signs of progress, and we are financially strong, and we remain committed to our core principles that have contributed to our past success. Although COVID-19 affected our global supply chain in Q1, before it was even recognized as a global pandemic, we moved quickly and prudently to docking measures to help mitigate the impact to our team, our customers, our suppliers, and our business as a whole. Our highest priority is to protect the health and safety of our 1,800 employees. 
working in 28 offices spread over 18 countries. Since early January, we've been balancing multiple dimensions in our global response, focusing on employees' well-being and safety, workforce engagement and productivity, business continuity and health, and finally, ensuring that we continue to live up to our core values. All offices except for our Hong Kong, China, and Vietnam offices moved to a work-from-home protocol in early March, and this remains in place currently. We are expecting to be back in our offices in North America and Europe sometime in June. In the meantime, we have enabled technology tools to assist people working remotely. We have successfully migrated our complex design, development, and engineering functions to home-based operations together with all other functions. Our team has really pulled together, and I'm very proud of how well we have operated under the circumstances. Getting back to the community has long been a part of our DNA. So in addition to making the safety of our employees a top priority, we've also been doing what we can to help build the need for personal protection equipment for frontline healthcare workers. Our product development team came up with an ingenious solution to create PPE in late March. Using existing headbands from our headband game, the team created a face shield for healthcare workers, and we are now producing 20,000 a day at three facilities in Mexico. To date, we have distributed over 200,000 units to over 100 healthcare facilities in Toronto, New York, California, Mexico, with plans to send other locations globally. We received many, many positive comments from hospitals, and it has been overwhelming to see what they are dealing with. When COVID-19 first emerged in early Q1, it affected the capacity of our supply chain in Asia, especially the 60 to 65% of our capacity located in China. Since early April, our key factories in China and Vietnam have been operating close to full capacity. Elsewhere, factories in India and Mexico are currently closed or operating below capacity, but these represent a small part of our supply network. Although the disruption in Asia in Q1 will have an effect on our availability of product in Q2, I want to acknowledge our entire Asian team who did an amazing, outstanding job at reacting to and mitigating this disruption. In many countries since mid-March, consumer demand for our products has been impacted by the disruption caused by the virus. However, we began 2020 with a strong start with double-digit TOS growth in the first quarter. Areas of strength included the launch of the new DC Comics toy line, Bakugan, Monster Jam, Kinetic Sand, and Games and Puzzles. At that point, from a brand and product perspective, we observed very strong demand for categories such as games and puzzles and activities, which includes arts and crafts, given the new imperative for parents to keep their kids occupied while indoors. Kinetic Sand was already seeing exceptional sales increases early 2020, and the entire line has further benefited from the stay-at-home guidelines. We saw similar trends following 9-11 and the lasting positive effects on the category were felt for years. We are leaning into these categories, and we believe that demand will continue throughout 2020 and going forward. Keep in mind that we are the second largest games and puzzles manufacturer in the U.S. and are a major player in activities. Whereas games, puzzles, and activities benefit from stay-at-home, other categories across the industry have struggled. First, is driven by events such as birthdays have declined, and kids cannot get together in the current environments. This has affected Paw Patrol. Collectibles and action figures 
are also categories that are seeing declines, which, have, which has adversely affected Bakugan and Easy Comics, both of which had a very strong start to the year. Monster Jam also had a strong start this year, building on 2019, the most successful year in the franchise's history. However, the lack of live events has reduced some of the focus on the brand. From a channel perspective, we're very fortunate that Walmart and Target, our two largest customers, stayed open and continued normal operating patterns. Amazon paused all purchases of non-essential products, including toys, for a few weeks in March, but has since resumed purchases. We observed a strong surge globally in online and e-commerce shopping in Q1, especially buy online and pick up at stores purchases in the United States. Sales of our digital toys have grown as parents look for ways to entertain and educate their kids at home. Overall, we saw views up over 30% on our Tokoboko and Sagamini platforms in Q1, and views are up 100% currently. Tokoboko and Sagamini combined now average 25 million monthly active users per month globally, giving us a strong base of users to expand both app sales and direct consumer subscription-based products. Sago now has over 150,000 subscribers across its platforms, including Sago School, which went live late in March after 16 months of development and is building very nicely. We've encouraged you to think about Spinmaster not only as a toy company, but as an integrated entertainment business with toys, entertainment, and digital toys and games. With kids at home all day and parents being more flexible with screen time, we're seeing a strong rise in viewing demand for both their digital offering and entertainment franchises. In February, we announced that our newest preschool franchise, Mighty Express, will debut as planned on Netflix in September. Mighty Express features a cast of trains and kids in an expansive world filled with amazing adventures. Mighty Express is our biggest production to date and marks our first series launching directly on a streaming platform. The launch marks the shift from Spin for Spinmaster as we will hold the rights for all consumer products, not only for toys. This will allow us to improve the margins we make on non-toy licensing and merchandising revenue streams. We also announced Paw Patrol the movie will, will be launched in August 2021 in association with Nickelodeon Movies and distributed by Paramount Pictures. The entertainment team is working on completing the voice talent and we hope to share an update on the exciting cast soon. We are equally excited about our Paw Patrol theme for the fall, Dino Rescue, which will air on Nickelodeon beginning in June. It is one of our strongest themes ever. Our entertainment team is working on our third-party animation, is working with our third-party animation studios to keep the production of all our TV shows and movies on track in a work-from-home environment. And we are fortunate that the animation production lends itself more easily to virtual work environment unlike live action, which is severely disrupted by COVID-19. I want to now update you on the key actions we've taken to address the operational challenges we experienced in the latter part of 2019. Although this quarter we continue to see higher costs carried over from challenges and management mistakes of 2019, I'm pleased to say that we have made significant progress in remediating the issues. Our goal remains to have the operational issues that caused such a disruption in 2019 largely behind us as we enter Q3 and to make sure we enter 2021 with a warehousing and distribution cost run rate 
in line with historical norms. There are two key areas that we have focused on that I will discuss with you now, and Mark will provide further details later. Firstly, we have reorganized the structure of our existing North American third-party supply chain network. We have focused on the consolidation, realignment, and simplification of our third-party distribution centers while ensuring we remain sufficiently agile to respond to the evolving industry and retail environment. We are targeting to ship more cost-effectively and manage inventory flow to minimize storage requirements, all whilst improving service levels to customers. The planning phase has been completed and we are now implementing the changes. Secondly, we have focused on rebuilding our operations IT teams and improving internal and external cross-functional collaboration, particularly in connection with our forecasting and planning processes. We made some key senior leadership changes in Q1 and are continuing to strengthen our operations and IT teams. We have refreshed and re-energized these areas with highly competent individuals with deep functional expertise. We also created consumer-focused teams. These are consumer-first internal hubs focused on single large consumer customers and consumer groups and comprise a blend of dedicated sales, order management, demand planning, logistics, and other credit management team members, all focused on serving customers. To conclude, we are fortunate that we operate in an industry that has shown in the past to be very resilient in the face of recessions and other disruptions. Driven by low average selling prices for products, potential substitution for more expensive forms of leisure, and most importantly, since parents tend to sacrifice for themselves before their children. Together with this industry resilience, we have diversified SpinMaster's product portfolio across all 11 categories of the toy industry as measured by NTV. Remember, in 2019, our sales increased 16%, excluding the $230 million decline in Hatchimals. We have also diversified geographically into 28 direct consumer markets and now serve over 100 markets worldwide. Finally, we've invested in our in-house entertainment and digital platform, platforms that have further diversified and strengthened Spinmaster. We are not the same company we were only five years ago. Looking forward, social distancing ramifications are likely to continue to create some shifts in consumer behavior, even while we're beyond the immediate crisis. We expect to see some closures of small-scale specialty stores. We anticipate more controlled foot traffic in st stores with shorter, focused trips and with less opportunity for impulse purchases in store. We expect to see greater sophistication in online buying and price sensitivity and more parent-driven online shopping without kids' presence. We are also seeing a significant increase in screen time by kids 2 to 11. In March and April, screen time was up over 50%. This may decrease as the weather warms up and kids return to a, normal, a more normal routine, but adoption of more sophisticated entertainment consumption habits will continue. This applies to the gaming acceleration as well. This bodes well for our Tokoboku and Sagamini platforms. We are also sensing a shift towards co-viewing opportunities as new family rituals around TV emerged in the COVID shutdown. We are seeing a strong desire to comfort kids and, and return them to a sense of normalcy combined with grandparent separation guilt. Recall 40% of toy POS come from households without children. 
We're going to adjust our business to recognize these trends. Our goal remains to create excitement and magic for children globally. Our performance in Q1 is not an indicator of our future potential, and we remain cautiously optimistic for 2020, assuming the world returns to a degree of normality, which it appears to be heading towards. We have an exciting, innovative, and diverse product offering for 2020 and 2021, and great entertainment and digital toy content. Our brands, partnerships, products, entertainment, and mobile digital franchises continue to resonate with children, as our POS demonstrates. Through our integrated, resilient, innovation-led business model, our deep, diverse geographic platform, and our stable financial position, we believe we are well-positioned to take advantage of emerging opportunities and regain our momentum. We've made strong progress and expect to execute to with a much simplified and better structured supply chain infrastructure ready to handle seasonal volumes. With a solid financial foundation, we can weather this crisis and we're poised to take advantage of any organic or acquisition opportunities as they will arise. I'll now turn it over to Mark. Thank you, Renan. On today's call, I will briefly summarize our Q1 performance and then turn to a discussion of our ongoing initiatives to improve operating performance and the business considering COVID-19. Gross product sales grew by 0.7% in Q1 to 242.3 million, with an unfavorable foreign exchange impact of 7.9 million. On a constant currency basis, gross product sales grew 4% in line with global industry growth. On a geographic basis, Europe continued to lead growth, up 13.6% in the quarter, followed by 2.2% growth in North America and a 29.4% decline in the rest of the world. The decline in the rest of the world was as a result of lower sales in some markets in Asia and Australia, with COVID-19 impacting those markets earlier in the quarter. International gross product sales represented just over 40% of total gross product sales. Historically, we outlined the goal to reach 40% of annual sales generated from international markets. We have increased that target to 45%, which we consider achievable. As a reminder, approximately 70% of global toy industry sales occur outside of North America, and we have significant runway for future international growth. Gross product sales growth was led by the activities, games and puzzles, and flash segment, which grew 24%. Overall, according to NPD, the U.S. games and puzzles category grew over $200 million in Q1, and we benefited from this. We are seeing growth across our entire activities and games and puzzles portfolio, with exceptional performance in kinetic sand, which more than doubled this quarter. Based on what we've seen so far in Q2, we would expect another strong quarter from this segment, particularly in the U.S. market, which continues to show extremely strong POS through April. Although the segment overall was up, our plush sub-segment has been disproportionately hard hit by COVID-19. This quarter, we saw a decline, as most plush customers are U.S.-based specialty retailers who have closed through the back half of March and have not yet reopened. We saw strong growth in the boys' action and construction segment, which grew 19.6%, led by the launch of DC Comics licensed products and growth in Bakugan. Bakugan sales were strong in Q1, following the global launch of the second season of the show. Although we were pleased to see very strong sales momentum 
at the beginning of the year, these brands, along with most other collectible toys, have since felt the impact of COVID-19. Gross product sales in preschool and girls decreased by 10.9% in Q1. Paw Patrol, which was down for the quarter, saw pressure from a combination of higher inventory carryover from the 2019 holiday season, later media airing, and in particular, COVID-19, as the cancellation of birthday parties and other event-driven sales affected the brand later in the quarter leading up to Easter. We are still seeing poor selling well across many markets outside of North America, including the UK, Germany, Russia, and Mexico, where we saw POS growth in the quarter. The remote control and interactive character segment continued to show declines led by Hatchimals, offset by growth in Paw Patrol RC and Monster Jam RC. Gross product sales in outdoor declined by 15.5%, driven in part due to supply chain disruptions and beach and outdoor area closures later in the quarter. Keep in mind that our outdoor business is mainly water-focused and the industry increase was more backyard-focused. Approximately $2 million of shipments in outdoor will move into Q2 as a result of Q1 COVID-19 supply chain issues. Let's turn now to POS. According to NPD, the global toy industry grew 4% in Q1 and 8% in the U.S. Globally, our Q1 POS, including Hatchimals, was up 10%, two and a half times higher than the industry. Global POS, excluding Hatchimals, was up 19%. We are very pleased with this performance, as it demonstrates that overall our brands are resonating with consumers. In the U.S., POS for the quarter was up 11%, including Hatchimals, and up 19%, excluding Hatchimals. In the US and globally, activities and games and puzzles POS was up triple digits, led by Kinetic Sand and Coronel. Hall Patrol POS was down for the quarter for the reasons I described earlier. Current global POS remains up mid to high single digits and is bifurcated by region. In the US, POS in the last four weeks is, to continue, is continuing to grow at even higher rates than we saw in Q1. Activities and Games and Puzzles POS showing continued strength. We are encouraged to see that recent POS for Paw Patrol, Bakugan, and Monster Jam has now turned positive, together with outdoors as the weather warms up. However, in Europe, except for Russia and Germany, and in countries such as Canada, we are seeing a decline in POS over the last four weeks due to the impact of retail closures in these countries. We are observing several trends which affected our shipments in POS. As Renan mentioned, we saw a decline in event or holiday-driven toy categories such as preschool and vehicles, offset by a significant increase in demand for arts and crafts, games and puzzles, and outdoor toys driven by parents' desire to manage their children's activities at home. With less brick-and-mortar shopping, there are fewer in-store impulse purchases. And when shopping online, parents tend to see less value in lower price point items. This reduced demand for collectible brands such as this reduced demand for collectible brands such as Bakugan, Monster Jam, Collectibles, and Twisty Pets in Q1. As a result of the shift away from collectibles and towards games, 
puzzles and activities, and more generally towards online purchases, we have seen average retail prices move from the sub $10 range into the $10 to $20 range. From a customer perspective, we are fortunate in that some of our largest customers have been able to stay open and are among the strongest retailers in the world. In the US, as Renee mentioned, Walmart and Target both continued purchasing for both brick and mortar and online through Q1 and have continued to do so. Together, they comprise close to 40% of our global sales for 2019 and were over 35% in Q1. Including Amazon, our third largest customer globally, these percentages would be approximately 50% and 45% respectively. In the US, online sales showed strong growth in Q1 and have continued to comprise a larger component of our customers' volume. For the quarter, our sales to the online and e-commerce channel in the US grew 30% compared to last year. We expect sales to US online and e-commerce channels to comprise over 25% of our volume in 2020 and 30% in Q4 alone, as consumers continue to gravitate away from breaking water. In Europe, which has a very large specialty store element, many customers closed their brick-and-mortar locations. Online and e-commerce showed strong growth in some European markets, but Italy and France were hard hit, as online shopping is less developed there. Turning back to the P&L, we generated revenue of $227.3 million in Q1, which was down 4.9% from the same period last year, or down 1.4% on a constant currency basis. Sales allowances increased to 15.2% of gross product sales compared to 12.6% in Q1 last year. This increase was partly related to the continued expansion in Europe and Russia in particular, which has both higher prices and a higher overall sales allowance rate than the global average. We also experienced continued non-compliance charges from customers related directly to our performance issues which began in the second half of 2019 as well as higher year-over-year markets. While the higher rates exhibited in Europe and Russia are market-related structural factors and will continue, both markdowns and non-compliance charges are controllable and are part of our efforts to improve operational performance in 2020. Other revenue, which primarily reflects licensing and merchandising royalties, television distribution revenue, and app revenue, declined by $7 million in Q1 compared to last year. The decline resulted from lower licensing and merchandising royalties from Paw Patrol and Hatchimals and was partially offset by increased revenue from Tokoboka and Sago Mini. We expect this trend to continue to the balance of 2020. Gross profits for the quarter was $90.8 million for 39.9% of revenue compared to $107.7 million for 45.1% last year. Gross profit was lower due to higher inland and ocean freight, inventory provisions and rework expenses, higher sales allowances, and lower other revenue. We estimate that approximately $14 million of the $17 million declining gross profit relates to inefficiencies which started in the second half of 2019. SGNA's percentage of revenue was 64.5% in Q1, up from 50.3% last year. Please keep in mind, Q1 is our seasonally lowest quarter, and SGNA is always inflated in Q1 relative to the year as a whole. Warehousing and distribution expenses were the largest component of the SGNA increase, 
increasing 11.6 million year over year. We estimate that approximately 9 million of the 11.6 million relates directly to inefficiencies arising from 2019. Although inventory levels decreased from year end, they were still significantly elevated relative to Q1 last year, resulting in increased storage costs. Higher inventory levels caused an increase of almost 20% in our domestic versus FOB sales mix, which combined with our inefficient North American warehouse structure compared to last year, drove outbound transportation and activity-based warehousing costs significantly higher. Marketing expenses were higher in Q1, driven by the launch of the DC line and the new season of popular. Trade show spend was also higher, as well as marketing related to the launches of new products in Tokoboka and Sagan Mini. Looking forward, as a result of the current environment, we have taken measures to reduce overall marketing spend and focus it to match where consumers are active, such as online and e-commerce. We expect to see the dollars we do spend going further as non-toy advertisers decrease their ad spend. As ad spend declines on TV, we are seeing rates decline, which will be margin accretive for us later in the year. From a tax perspective, we had an income tax recovery of just over 48 million in the quarter. Approximately 33 million of this related to a one-time internal transfer of intangible property. Our annual tax rate is typically between 24 and 26 percent. Our expectation for the annual effective tax rate in 2020 is in the range of 20%. This lower rate in 2020 is driven by where we expect pre-tax income to be generated and the tax rates in the various jurisdictions in which we operate. We expect the 2021 tax rate to revert to historical. For the quarter, we reported an adjusted net loss of 46.8 million or 45 cents per diluted share compared with an adjusted net loss of 12.5 million, or 12 cents per share last year. Adjusted EBITDA declined to negative 32.3 million in the quarter, compared to positive 7 million last year. As I mentioned earlier, we believe that approximately $23 million of the year-over-year decline in profitability can be attributed directly to the operational efficiencies, inefficiencies that continued into Q1 arising in 2019. Turning to the balance sheets and cash flows, total networking capital was $210 million at the end of Q1, compared to $162 million at the end of Q1 2019, and $266 million at the end of the year. Free cash flow for the quarter, excluding working capital, was negative $74.9 million, compared to negative $39.9 million. Free cash flow for the quarter, including working capital, was negative $27.8 million, the same as 2019. Inventory ended the quarter at 156 million, compared to 185 million at the end of 2019 and 112 million last year. We are beginning to make meaningful progress reducing our inventory levels, although our progress has been hindered to some extent by COVID-19 as some customer outlets have closed. There is a risk of gross margin compression in 2020 as a result of this inventory carryover, as we saw in Q1. And we are constantly weighing gross margin against inventory levels and inventory carrying costs, especially as we restructure our North American supply chain. Our balance sheet remains very strong. We ended the quarter with just under 425 million in cash, a net cash of 74 million. During March, 
the impact of COVID-19 on the capital markets and on the availability of liquidity in the financial system is of real concern. As a result, we drew a total of $350 million on our committed $510 million revolving credit facility. Given the amount of cash we had on hand at the end of the quarter, together with cash flow we will generate in the second half, and the additional capacity on our credit facility, we are solidly positioned with regard to available liquidity. We are constantly modeling the steps necessary to ensure business continuity, even if this crisis lasts much longer than is currently expected. For 2020, we expect interest costs to increase by approximately $5 million over 2019. I want to now turn to our view on the balance of 2020. On our Q4 call in early March, we focused on the supply-side impact of COVID-19 for 2020. The primary impact we now expect, and which we started to see in late Q1, is a reduction of overall sales volumes given the destruction of many customer markets. We have taken several steps to reduce SGMA, which includes the restructuring of our North American supply chain. We are pleased to say we have made significant progress which is aimed at driving structural cost savings and improvements in order to get our margins back to where they belong. Let me run through a few of the key areas. We are optimizing our warehouse network in North America by simplifying the structure, reducing the total number of PCs and the number of shipping points to customers. To put this into perspective, in Canada and the US, we are looking to go from 18 DCs and storage locations to five ultimately. From 18 individual facilities at the end of 2019, we are now at 15. By the end of Q2, we expect to close four more to get to 11. In Q3, we will close a further three so that by the end of Q3, we will be at eight. Entering 2021, we are targeting to be at five. As a reminder, these are third-party-owned facilities, and we will incur minimal costs in exiting these facilities. These changes will help in reducing customer non-compliance charges, eliminating cost drivers such as prepaid freight, unloading delays, demerge charges, and inter-warehouse transfers. We are improving our forecasting process and matching the flow of inventory to the timing of shipments to reduce storage requirements. We are reducing fuel counts and eliminating those that are not profitable. We are driving improvements in IT systems, especially connectivity with customers and warehouses, and focusing on improved data accuracy. We are enhancing reporting, monitoring, and accountability around our KPIs and implementing global best practices. Our sales team is working hard with customers to shift as much volume as possible to FOB in the US in the second half of 2020, which will take pressure off our domestic warehousing infrastructure. Finally, we are strengthening the quality and capability of our operations team in North America. It is our goal to enter Q3 with a substantially more refined supply chain infrastructure and to exit 2020 at or very close to a normalized warehousing and distribution run rate. This will yield a dual benefit from a gross and EBITDA margin perspective as both the non-compliance element of sales analysis, which is directly correlated to the performance of our supply chain and warehousing and distribution costs will decline. Equally importantly, we will be able to service our customers better through customer teams focused on higher in-stock levels and better full rates. We are also slowing down new employee hiring, focusing on extracting procurement efficiencies globally, particularly around potential 
commodity, plastic resin, and fuel surcharge cost relief, reflecting and reallocating marketing dollars to brands most likely to exhibit strong sell-through in the current environment, and reducing controllable expenses such as travel, legal, rent, consulting, and many others. With the continuing uncertainty regarding the pandemic, we have elected not to provide formal guidance at this time. Given the dynamic nature of the circumstances, and since the pace of recovery is yet to be determined with any specificity, we continue to regularly assess the business environment and our strategies and plans. This will determine our capacity and willingness to provide formal guidance. Directionally, we are comfortable to say that we expect the current COVID-19 related retail headwinds to continue through Q2. Combined with the Q1 supply chain disruptions, we expect Q2 sales volumes to be lower than 2019. We also expect some continued cost pressure from our 2019 operational inefficiencies to carry forward through Q2. Looking beyond Q2, we will have our operational issues largely behind us, and we are encouraged that many countries are now beginning the early stages of lifting retail and other restrictions. Based on this, we are cautiously optimistic that the second half of 2020 will return to some degree of normality in most key markets, and we believe that we are well-positioned to take advantage of this re-emergence. That concludes my comments. I will now turn the call back over to Renan for some additional comments, and then we'll be pleased to take questions. Renan. Thanks, Mark. Before we go to Q&A, I want to take a moment to talk about our culture, thank all of our employees who at every level have demonstrated incredible dedication during this difficult time. We have been amazed by the levels of productivity, that have been achieved through camaraderie of employees globally throughout this crisis. Our employees are all dealing with a situation that is new and which represents challenges on many levels, including having families at home with their own needs, technological issues, disruptions in all kinds of plans, and a level of anxiety that lasts longer than expected. We truly appreciate all our employees' efforts. The way we work together has changed permanently. Our ability to lead, leverage, and harness the potential of our globally distributed workforce is tested and proven. This experience has tested our notions of distributed work and talent, and the results are positive. Coming out of COVID-19, we will continue to think more globally as we build talent, work teams, think about how to bring the best of students together to achieve our business strategy. Allowing our team members to have greater control of the workday supports our commitment push boundaries, move together, and make an impact. The technology we used and the workforce flexibility benefits we introduced through COVID-19 are here to stay and will only strengthen students' employee value proposition. COVID-19 has brought our people together and for a global company such as ours, it has increased productivity, collaboration, and creativity. With that, we'll open up now for questions. Operator, can you open the line, please? Certainly. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Stephanie Wisnick with Jeffries. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Mark, I think this question is probably best suited for you, but Ramana, I would love for you to join in. Just hoping you can help us dimensionalize the year by semesters. There's a lot of conflicting vectors going on right now. Demand, 
getting goods through to the channel, your own operational inefficiency remediation. So can you help us think about the first half and then relative to your comments at the tail end regarding the second half, where you'll be on the backside of your operational issues? Sounds like, you know, some holiday order flow initial looks look to be pretty solid. So just help us think about the year kind of in two parts, if you could. Sure, uh, Steph, I'll go first and then I'll, I'll pass it back to Renee. So as we said in Q1, we started the year with a strong performance from a, a sales perspective overall. And then from the late March onwards, we actually uh, had COVID hit us. We did have some supply chain disruptions that occurred in Asia, but most of that will be felt in Q2. And then Q, and, and then activities, games and puzzles, and, uh, and those categories really started picking up in late March. Um, we do see Q2 uh, being down uh, year over year as a result of some disruption of Q1 uh, supply chain and also because of many of the customer closures. At the same time, we were working on our supply chain restructuring and we've made significant progress. So the goal is to exit Q2 with our supply chain uh, problems largely behind us. We did see a significant carryover from Q4 of the profitability issues and the additional costs that affected us in Q3 and Q4 of 2019. So looking ahead, we, you know, we don't see any pull forward currently of demand. What's happening right now from a demand perspective is, is customers are filling current demand, particularly in the activities, games and puzzles area. And then looking forward, where we actually do 70% of our volume in the second half of the year, we're well set up from a supply chain perspective and as demand comes back to normal, we think we're very well positioned to take advantage of opportunities going into Q3 and Q4. Our goal exiting Q4 is to, to really enter 2021 with a normalized run rate on, on our operational costs, particularly our warehousing and distribution, and, uh, and then to, to get back to where we want to be in 2021 and beyond. Ben, do you want to add anything? Yeah, just, just from a medical perspective, I think we're very fortunate, Stephanie. Um, first of all, from an industry perspective, um, whereby, uh, you know, the industry has, has shown itself to be quite resilient um, in these times. And I think that the, the macro trends um, uh, are helpful for, uh, we're fortunate for families spending more time at home. And, um, uh, you know, we're seeing that that family time is, is is lending itself towards um, the fact that we have a diversified portfolio in a lot of you know certain categories like Mark mentioned um, the activities category you know that we've been in for many years and uh, the games and puzzles obviously we've talked about um, and I think that uh, it would be interesting when kids go back to school um, there'll be an opportunity for those other categories that are more school based um, you know, like collectibles and um, lower price point items where kids have to share and interact together, um, uh, we think we'll have an opportunity to, to pick up in the third and fourth quarter. And the, the retailers are, are uh, very focused on, on you know, meeting um, consumer demands for the third and fourth, fourth quarter. And then the other thing which is quite amazing, which I think we have to be very thankful for in our industry, is that our Asian teams and our supply base has done an incredible job to catch up in the first quarter um, and and now in the second quarter to meet all the demands for the third and fourth quarter. And so from a timing perspective, we were very fortunate. And I think that um, the way that Asia has actually handled the COVID crisis 
um, will enable us to actually meet demand. Whatever that demand will be in the third and fourth quarter, um, but we'll be able to meet that demand from a supply chain perspective, and that's super encouraging for us. I think that's great. And just one follow-up, more housekeeping. Um, I think on Mighty Express, which I think you mentioned, launches September on Netflix. So I guess two-part question. One, you made a point to call out that you have the full category rights for that. Could you could just talk a little bit more about how that's distinct from other entertainment properties. And then secondly, will you be launching with toys and merchandise when the series launches? Yeah. So, um, okay, so in the past, we used to do things in partnership. So, for example, with Octro, we had a partnership with Nickelodeon, and so they handled the licensing and merchandising. So they managed the interaction with all the various different uh, licensees. Um, and so this time around, we've actually built up our own internal team that will manage those relationships, um, put up the style guide, we'll do the overall marketing for the franchise. Um, so we've turned the entertainment team into not only a content production team, but now a full franchise management and entertainment team. Um, and, uh, and then in terms of uh, day and date, we're going to actually let the property build um, and we'll bring out the toys for Mighty Express in 2021 and we'll bring it out with uh, complementary uh, partners in other categories in 2021. But we want to give it a little bit of time, Stephanie, to, to build um, and, uh, and build up the awareness. We, we've, we basically figured out that, that awareness really needs to reach about 50%. Um, before you can actually put product out into the marketplace. And so that's what we're very focused on doing with Mighty Express with, Nick, with, with, uh, with our SVOD partner and also with other marketing tools to build up that awareness. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Sabahat Khan with RBC Capital. Your line is open. Right, thanks and good morning. Uh, just on the, the commentary that you gave around some of the specifics on uh, the gross profit and SG&A impact of the inefficiencies, I think the totals were 14 million of the gross profit decrease and 9 million of the SG&A. Um, how should we think about those numbers heading into Q2? Like, is that sort of like an absolute dollar amount that we think can continue into Q2? Just trying to think of the the kind of the drag, the fixed nature of it into the next quarter, and obviously there's a separate sales impact just given the background, but just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, so, Sam, good morning. Um, as we said, uh, of the $39 million year-over-year decline, approximately $23 million of that was related to operational inefficiencies from carried forward from, from last year. And, and of that, $14 million uh, relates to items affecting gross profit, and nine million relates to distribution. So, you know, looking at Q2, you know, we're making significant progress in remediating some of these problems. We don't think that all of them are going to be remediated um, during Q2, but certainly from a structural perspective, by the end of Q2, we hope to be in a position leading into Q3 to see some significant efficiencies starting to flow through, and then by the end of the year to be in a position where we are really back to normalized run rates. So you will see some carryover of these costs into Q2, both gross margin impact and at the distribution level, hopefully at a slightly reduced rate, but there, but, but there will be some in Q2 for sure. Okay, and sort of related to that, um, you know, as things you indicated start to um, normalize heading into Q2, and then as you get into your bigger selling season in Q3, I guess, you know, just based on current visibility, the way you're thinking about the business, you know, would you expect 
top line to be kind of up, you know, Q3 specifically year over year? You know, obviously there's a lot of moving parts, but what's sort of your base case uh, operating assumptions at this point, um, given what you can kind of see out there? Yeah, so, so we don't want to be too specific because we're not giving formal guidance, but I can tell you that that you, retailers are, are in, in good shape. The ones, that, you know, certainly our primary customers in the U.S. are uh, are buying normally. We're actually having a lot of good conversations. There's discussions around planogram dates to, to make sure that we um, don't have any impact from the Q1 supply chain affecting Q3 and Q4. It remains to be seen how the rest of the world comes back normally. I think we're a little bit more confident in the U.S., but certainly things are turning back to normal in Europe and in other regions where markets are starting to come back a little bit. Um, and, and as you know, we do 70% of our volume in the second half of the year. We are shifting and pushing our retailers to take more on an FOB basis than we saw last year. And so that tends towards more in Q3 than it does in Q4. But we are, uh, you know, quietly confident and optimistic that we will have a solid second half of the year. Exactly how big that is going to be remains to be seen at this point in time. Okay, and then um, you shared some color on your thoughts around, you know, some of the headwinds that you have going into Q2 um, in terms of the top line. Are you are you giving kind of the commentary taking into account that there is a bit of a timing benefit in Q2 last year because of the Easter shift? Does that kind of add to the headwinds, or do you think sort of the commentary you gave takes all that into account and the real headwind, headwind is sort of the store closures that were there um, over the course of April onwards? Yeah, so as we said to you, we, we do expect uh, sales to be down in Q2 year over year. Just keep in mind that Easter this year was April the 12th. Uh, last year it was April the 21st. So really Easter is a little bit of a non-event this year in terms of our quarter-over-quarter comparisons. So it's not, a, it's not a material factor one way or the other. And we have built it into everything that we've already described to you. Okay, and just one last one um, on the cash flow. Um, the balance sheet is still in good shape, but just want to get an idea of your expected cash usage at least through Q2. Um, it looks like you drew some amount down on the credit facility, but just want to get your thoughts on, you know, cash burn over the next couple of quarters until you get into sort of the big selling season. Okay, so so let me just level set everybody because I think it's important to understand structurally how our cash flow works. If you recall, our traditional cash flow profile is that we consume cash in Q1, we consume cash in Q2 as we build up for our seasonal peak. We then start selling in Q3 extensively, we convert inventory into receivables, and we start collecting cash in Q3 and Q4. And by the end of the year, we are uh, you know, solidly cash positive, and we, we don't see any change to that profile uh, this year. The only uh, nuance, um, which you actually did see in, in Q1, was that because we had such high inventory levels uh, exiting 2019, we started to draw down on that, and we actually uh, saw a, a contribution or a source of cash from working capital in, in Q1, which was larger than normal. But generally, our cash profile is as I described, and I don't see it significantly changing. We did draw down, as you know, $350 million uh, in, the, in the quarter on our revolver, which was a kind of a preemptive measure, just 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 to be um, you know to be safe given what was going on at the time. 
and we'll have a look at our cash flow and we can either repay that or keep that depending on what actually happens with COVID over the next uh, three, six, nine months. But we do expect to end the year uh, uh, in, in a, a strong positive cash position. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Jamie Katz with Morningstar. Your line is open. Hi, thanks for taking my questions. Um, first, I'm curious about how you guys are thinking about marketing expenses over the remainder of the year. Is there a better way to strategically put those dollars to work to facilitate sales? or And, and do you think that that sort of evenly eases back to a more normalized level over the course of the year? Does it sort of escalate towards the holiday season in advance of that um, key period? Thanks. So, so I'll take that first, and then uh, Renan will add in some commentary. You know, typically, um, marketing runs at around 10% of our sales. And, you know, we don't see that changing dramatically for uh, 2020. It may be a little bit down uh, from those levels. Um, you know, we are actually looking at our mix and uh, shifting more dollars to where consumers are more active, uh, online and e-commerce in particular. And as I said in my script, we are seeing rates coming down, and so we do uh, expect to get some benefit of lower rates as other advertisers uh, advertise less, especially on TV. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I think that, um, you know, as you see consumer shopping patterns shift and change, uh, we'll be matching our marketing the way those habits are actually evolving. So you'll probably see more of a digital spend going into the third and fourth quarter. You'll see some extra spend uh, targeted towards adults. Uh, you'll probably see less kids in, in the stores. Um, you'll see more uh, uh, social media. Um, uh, what I'd say is more creative content created by our internal teams. And so it'll be more earned. Uh, marketing, where we have to actually pay money up front to create the content, but we have much more content out into the universe, especially on the YouTube uh, channel. So you'll see a mix of different things, but I'm very proud of our marketing team. Uh, they reacted very quickly, the creative team internally reacted very quickly, and you actually, if you look, if you look at the Spin Master universe, you'll already start to see some of the shift in marketing um, uh, that we're doing that will give you a bit of a taste of what's going to come into the fall. Okay, and then maybe because I'm a little bit newer to the Spin Master story, I think one of your competitors noted that outdoor was um, a pretty strong category and there was a shift to it. But is there something about your lineup, like is it more tilted to summer product with the swim category that has made that a little bit more difficult in this period um, for you than I would have thought? Yeah, so our outdoor was down 15.5% in, in Q1. Uh, There's a number of factors. We had some supply chain disruption. Um, just remember the, the seasonality for outdoor is different to toys because the first half of the year is typically bigger than the second half of the year because as we lead into the summer months. And in Q1, we had some disruption arising from the Asian COVID uh, situation that arose. So we did see some disruption there. And then later in the quarter, we actually um, had a lot of closures around uh, pools and outdoor areas and beaches, which affected um, demand for outdoor. But we are seeing outdoor, which is mainly, our outdoor is mainly water-focused. The industry outdoor, um, you know, is mainly more backyard-focused. So what you heard in Q1 was backyard was up in a big way. 
whereas water was actually down. What we're seeing now is that water has come back very strongly, and so we're seeing uh, swimways uh, demand and POS actually uh, going up quite significantly. Thank you. That's very helpful. Your next question comes from the line of Adam Shine with National Bank Financial. Your line is open. Uh, thanks a lot. Good morning. Uh, maybe one question for Ronan, one for uh, Mark. Ronan, usually we start to have you guys building uh, some of your H2 visibility somewhere around the June-July timeframe as sort of retailers start to commit to you guys. Uh, can you speak to whether COVID is, is changing some of that dynamic, uh, bringing it forward a little bit, maybe otherwise extending it? Um, and just as a follow-on to the context with retailers, any any you know, material changes afoot as we, you know, move through, you know, the the mid part of Q2 compared to what you might have seen amidst the initial scramble uh, at the end of Q1. And then just for Mark, um, you know, you've, you've talked quite a bit on the supply chain side with respect to uh, some of the uh, distribution centers, storage capabilities. Maybe if you can elaborate a little bit on any thoughts around uh, the manufacturing footprint and whether any changes afoot there of any materiality might uh, ultimately be best pursued next year um, rather than mo big moves out of China this year. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the, no, I think that the, the buying patterns, um, primarily from the large retailers, uh, going into the back half of the year are actually very consistent with previous years. So I, we, we don't see any changes there. Um, and I am personally, uh, uh, encouraged by the resilience of the, of the industry. Um, I think that if we go back, uh, you know, six weeks um, when COVID hit and uh, everybody started working from home, um, the the I would have thought the industry would have been impacted even more than what it is uh, and what we're actually seeing today. Um, and your third part of your question was no, there was there was two parts. There was that. Did I answer your question, Adam? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the other, the other part was simply around, you know, any changes to the dynamic in regards to, you know, what's been happening as we as we get into May. I mean, obviously, as as was alluded to previously, you know, non-essentials out, out of Amazon um, were curbed for a few weeks. You know, oh yeah, 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 early yeah. April, right? Um, that's yeah. been freed up of late, but there still there still seems to be, you know, it's not like you're getting your prime delivery a day or two uh, necessarily. No. So. No, thank you. Thank you. That was it. well. What I will tell you is, I mean, you know, in Europe you still have a lot of store closures. So Europe is very different to North America, um, and uh, they're slowly coming out of it. I think the biggest trend that we're seeing now, which is un, which is a, a really big shift and probably stay here for a long time, which is the online delivery and pickup. So there's a big surge right now, big demand, and people just placing orders and literally pulling their cars up, and the and the product is getting put into the trunk, and people are driving away. And so you see Walmart doing a big business in that area. So I think that's the biggest shift that we've seen. And I think that will probably continue. And that is actually causing us to actually think about how we actually um, uh, do our mix of product. Because usually the way you do, you usually do things in assortments. And now to be able to, to facilitate uh, the app store pickup from online ordering, you have to ship in solids. So it's a bit of a different configuration. 
teams are ready on that and making the changes so that we can uh, maximize the third and fourth quarter. Thanks. So Adam, I'll just pick up from where I'll pick up from where Renee left off. I, I just want to add one one point to what he said about the, the customers. You know, we've worked really hard with our, our main customers to make sure that any of the uh, issues that happen in Asia in Q1 relating to COVID do not impact the second half of the year. Um, you know, the vast majority of the four products that um, and, and this pertains to tooling in particular um, that may have been disrupted in Q1 will still ship in Q3. And, you know, retailers are aligned with later set dates on many SKUs. We're working very closely with them on that. You know, there may be a slight shift to Q4 from Q3, you know, where tooling or run rates won't allow us to maximize volume in late Q3 versus early Q4. But overall, that doesn't affect the second half of the year. And then in, in connection with your point about manufacturing, um, you know, we have diversified. Uh, out of China, you know, we're we're in we're in uh, in Vietnam, uh, we're in uh, India and in Mexico, as you know. Um, you know, just given what's happened this year, I would suggest that the pace of any further diversification might slow down a little bit in 2020. You know, we're very happy with the way that the China uh, manufacturing base has picked up following COVID. We're now back at almost full capacity or at full capacity in China and in Vietnam. We still have some issues in India and Mexico, which are closed or partially closed, but that's really immaterial and will not affect our supply in 2020. Great. Thanks for that. Your next question comes from the line of Luke Cannonham with Canaccord. Your line is open. Hey, thanks. Good morning, guys. Um, <clears throat> the one question I had, uh, actually, first, it's a housekeeping question, Mark. Uh, you gave some pretty good commentary on the POS data that you were seeing um, to date so far in Q2, but uh, I just missed some of those figures. So do you mind uh, repeating those? Uh, yeah, in, in uh, Q1, globally, we were positive 10%, including hatch, and excluding hatchables, we were at 19%. And in the U.S., we were at positive 11% including Hatchimals and 19% excluding Hatchimals. And we are actually seeing an acceleration in the U.S. Uh, to significantly higher rates than what I just described uh, currently. Uh, you know, the rest of the world is actually uh, a little bit down just given the closures we've seen in Europe and other countries. But the U.S. POS right now is extremely strong. Thanks. Um, and then my, my second question um, is just on, uh, I guess, how you view your overall financial health um, of your customers. I noticed that the, the provisions that you have for any um, doubtful accounts didn't really tick up meaningfully from last year. And I know you mentioned that, um, you know, Walmart, Target, and Amazon represent um, the lion's share of where your, your sales come from. And um, I don't imagine that you anticipate any sort of credit issues there. But as far as the makeup, of the rest of that receivables balance in your customer base, um, how do you view, I guess, their financial health um, uh, in the near term? Okay, that, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, as you mentioned, you know, roughly half of our sales come from Walmart, Target, and Amazon. So, so they're very, uh, very strong from a credit perspective. No issues there. Um, you know, I would say to you, there are two areas that we are seeing pressure on our customers which is uh, the U.S. mid-tier, you know, the, the department stores and, and so on, small 
specialty retailers in the U.S., as well as the small specialty retail component in countries like Italy and France. But what I do want to say to you is that, and this is really important, we have global credit insurance policies, which are non-cancellable. And, and so we are very well protected from that credit perspective, and we have uh, very limited credit exposure. We do get requests sometimes for extended payment terms, and uh, we typically don't agree to that, but sometimes for strategic reasons we may want to help a customer or two, but overall it's really small and very immaterial, and, uh, and we're, we're in good shape from that perspective. Okay, thanks. Appreciate it, Keller. Your next question comes from the line of Garrick Johnson with BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Hey, good morning. Thank you. Uh, I have two questions, actually two topics, multiple questions. First, uh, on Amazon, uh, last day of March, there were 35 games in the top 100 sellers on Amazon, but none of them were Spin Master games. Does your portfolio just not lend itself well to selling on Amazon, or is that part of the supply issue? Why don't we see your games as part of the top sellers on Amazon? Uh, you, you know, Gary, to be honest, I, I can't talk to Amazon specifically. Um, maybe Renena's got some color on that, but what I can tell you is that overall, games and puzzles um, in Q1 grew, according to NPD, at $200 million in total, and um, we grew our share commensurately with that. In fact, I believe we actually grew our share a little bit. We are the number two games and puzzles player in the United States, and our demand and volume is extremely high, as well as our POS, which is in the triple-digit range. So I can't talk to Amazon specifically, Renee. Maybe you want to... Yeah, Eric, I think it's a great question, um, uh, and we can potentially get back to you on it. But from a, from a high level, I think that one thing you guys need to understand is the, the composition of our actual uh, games business. So the big percentage of our games business comes from Cardinal, and Cardinal is a broad-based, multiple SKU business. It's got tons and tons of SKUs, and it's less about titles, and it's more about, you know, a big part of the business of the games is the basics, like uh, backgammon and chess and checkers and dominoes and, and poker chips and all that type of stuff. Um, so I don't think you'd see that appearing as, like, the top titles. So they just have a very wide assortment with a lot of SKUs, that at the end of the day adds up to a lot of dollars. Um, and then when you look at the Spin Master side of the business, um, you know, our titles, like Headbands, probably our top title. I would be surprised not to see Headbands on the Amazon top 30 list, but I'll look into that. And we have other titles that are that are decent. They're not as strong as some of our competitors, but they still sell. Um, and when you add all the titles up, there's lots of titles out there. They add up to, uh, to good sales. And then you also have things like Perplexus and stuff like that. So. I think you have to look at our games businesses and puzzle businesses as something that's got uh, a very wide breadth to it. Also, the puzzle business, you know, um, a lot of our puzzle businesses is, is sold um, at the, the value channels um, where you find puzzles for $2 or $4 or $5, and there's multiple SKUs and there's so many different licenses, so it's really spread out over a very large assortment. Yeah, that's yeah. Great, great answer. Thank you very much. And, and mentioning the value channel, that, that's a pretty strong channel for you guys right now, is it not? Um, it's, it's, it's a fair question, Mark. Uh, yeah, I think the value channel is pretty decent. Okay. 
And I don't want to ask you about inventory. Uh, your inventory is up 40%. I think you talked about it a little bit, but uh, you kind of faded in and out on a call, so I didn't, I didn't catch all of what you said about why that inventory is up 40% and if it's all good inventory. And then you did have excess channel inventory coming out of fourth quarter. So is that pretty much cleaned up, or is there, are there still pockets of, uh, of, of stuff? Yeah, so, so we, do, we did actually exit 2019 with significantly higher domestic inventory than we had at the comparable period um, of, of 2018. So there was, a, there was a big carryover that we had to deal with, mainly in our warehouses because of the, uh, the issues that we had in the second half. So we've been working our way through that in Q1. Um, you know, inventory has come down quite significantly in Q1 and will come down further in Q2. Uh, the vast majority of that inventory is good, and we continue to sell it. But, you know, there were some markdowns and there was some margin compression as we, as we actually worked through some of that. Uh, the, the reality is that having the inventory in a way helped us because um, we were able to, to fill uh, a lot of activity games and puzzles orders that otherwise might have been ordered FOB that we would not have been able to fill normally. We've worked very closely with retailers to take uh, inventory, especially in the COVID environment. It's helped us substitute where needed, uh, especially in games and puzzles. We've actually uh, been able to develop a lot of out-of-aisle features, which has helped us. I mean, overall, Garrick, our Q120 domestic sales were up 20% over Q119. And uh, as I said to you, COVID has helped some categories like activities, games, and puzzles, and it's hurt in some categories where there have been less doors and, and no events. And we want to shift as much as we can to the fall from an FOB perspective, but we do see some continued pressure on margins uh, in, in the second quarter. Uh, and what we're really essentially balancing off here is gross margin against cash and also inventory carrying costs as we seek to restructure our supply chain. So it's a, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Okay, so that, that explains the channel inventory, but the, the inventory in your books? I was talking about the inventory in our books. Oh, you were. Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so at, at, at the channel level, it isn't significant uh, issues at the channel level. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you, Mark. Your next question comes from the line of David Mifajan with Cormark Securities. Your line is open. Oh, hi, yeah. A um, couple of questions, if I may. Um, so when you first issued your 2020 guidance, you were calling for mid-single-digit, mid-single-high-digit um, revenue decline, and it seems based on your commentary uh, today and Q1 that uh, – that's probably going to be too pessimistic. I don't know if you can comment at all about that, given that you withdrew your guidance, but it seems that way. And then secondly, um, when we look to 2021, you say you'll exit the year with only five facilities and most of the supply chain things will be behind you as you start into Q3. So could we expect a material rebound in the EBITDA margin and, and to get back to 18%, would that be a little too optimistic? Uh, so, so David, um, you know, we're not we're not actually giving formal guidance at this time on our top line. I did give um, some commentary on the second half. I'll see that playing out when I answered Sabah's question earlier. So we are actually confident for the second half, and we do feel good about it. But we don't know yet, just given.
what's happening with COVID. So we have to be somewhat cautious until we, we see some more substance behind how the second half plays out. Uh, we are cautiously optimistic, though. And we're also cautiously optimistic that by the end of the second quarter, we'll have our most of our supply chain issues behind us and we'll be then getting the benefit of these improvements over the second half of the year. And as you mentioned, we, we want to have a significantly restructured North American uh, supply chain by the end of 2020, where we have only five facilities, which will be down significantly from what we have currently, and that will allow us to be much more efficient. For, you know, Going forward, we hope to recapture some of our margins as a result of that. Um, but, you know, I don't want to be too specific about what that looks like yet because there are obviously going to be puts and takes for, for 2021, which, which we uh, are not commenting on at this time. Okay. And then if I can just um, ask one more, can you give us an idea how Paw Patrol is doing so far in Q2 or how it did in April? Um, so, so Paw Patrol for the year has, has largely been down in North America. In Europe, it's been stronger. But overall, Paul has been down from both a uh, sales and a POS perspective. The, the good news is that uh, of, in the last couple of weeks, though, we've seen a fairly material rebound in Paul from a POS perspective. And so that's starting to, to trend uh, more positively. The reason Paul is down um, for the year is really a relate, in relation to uh, inventory carryover that we saw from 2019. The full TV driver for Paw Patrol, which was the jet, did not do very well. Uh, it's not as well as we expected. And so that actually relate, uh, that caused some, um, some carryover into the first quarter. We also had our marketing start later in the first quarter. And probably most significantly of all, the reality is that a lot of Paw Patrol purchases are more event-driven around birthday parties or Easter or other kinds of events. And so Paw has suffered from, from COVID. But overall, long-term, we still feel very comfortable with Paw. We're very excited about it, the new content that, that Renee yeah, talks just about. To, just to build on that is that, uh, you know, the preschool category is, is down, David, uh, across the board as a result of COVID. I would put it in the... In the uh, um, harder hit category side of the, of the ledger. Um, but from a franchise perspective, we're super, super excited about uh, uh, our new team, which is Dino Island. Um, I'm extremely proud of our team for producing in, in our seventh season such an incredible team. Um, very excited for you guys to see it. It is probably one of our best productions um, to date. And we have a new character, which is Rex, who's a handicapped dog who's coming. He's a great aspirational character. We have the Dino Patroller, uh, which is extremely aspirational. We have a new uh, uh, headquarters, which is located on Dino Island, which is aspirational. Uh, we have uh, the dinosaurs mixed in with the pups, which is which is a whole new, unique world for kids to, uh, to really enjoy. And, and dinosaurs are a classic play pattern for kids. So I think it's... It's quite amazing that the team were able to blend those worlds together. Um, and then looking forward, you know, obviously the movie for 2021, and, and that is uh, currently on track. It's on schedule. Um, and, uh, you know, we're working very closely with Paramount currently now. And what are the marketing plans for that? Um, very, very engaged with their teams um, well in advance of the movie to um, uh, market it properly. And also, 
realign all our, our licensees um, uh, to make sure that they are getting all the collateral material so that they can start their product development process early on now to make sure that for fall 2021 we have a very fresh, new, dynamic uh, uh, looking Paw Patrol line for the movie that's very different um, than the traditional TV theme line. Okay, well, thank you. And your last question comes from the line of Brian Morrison with TD Securities. Your line is open. Thank you. Good morning, guys. Um, just in terms of Paw Patrol, do you have any feedback from your buyers on the new theme? It sounds like you're pretty excited about it. Uh, the dino theme, is, it's got an incredible reaction. Incredible reaction. Very pop these dinosaurs together. It's, it's, it's extremely positive. Okay. And I guess more of my focus, Renan or, or Mark, is, you know, as you have more costs of handling as inventory is going through your system, I'm wondering what processes or safety measures you have in place as you reduce your DC, specifically in Q3 and Q4 of this year, just to ensure that we don't run into these inefficiencies once again. Yeah, no, it's a great, great question. I mean, I, I personally, Brian, have been focused on this for like the last 10 weeks. <laughs> So I can find a lot of my time. And what we're doing is, is we are um, strengthening existing partners. So we have some very good partners in place, but we're strengthening those partners. Um, and when I say strengthening, I'm talking about the the uh, amount of meetings we're having with them, making sure that the owners are engaged in our business now. They're actively coming to the meetings, um, uh, making sure that we have people on site in those facilities that are spin master people. We basically retooled our whole customer-focused team. We've actually, uh, I would say, done an, an internal organizational review, and we've reallocated 90 people in our company um, to actually to, to cross-functional consumer teams per account, per location on, on web on, on the web. We've also let go of certain partners um, that are performing, and we've moved them to. We've actually moved them to. Sorry, someone can just go on mute and distract We've let go of uh, some of our core performers from a warehouse perspective, and we've moved those to some of our stronger warehouse, uh, third-party warehouses that we did well last year, and we've given them a bit less. So we're relentlessly focused on this area. We've made uh, management changes, as you guys know, and other uh, where we brought, brought, brought in people trying to have subject matter in warehousing, in logistics, in the supply chain. We brought back old people that have were in operations with Spin Master that moved to other departments, and we brought them back, especially in the whole area of the ethnic process. People with a long institutional deep issue knowledge when it comes to inventory and global management and management. Uh, I do want to uh, say that it is our goal to end this year at a much lower inventory level. We're relentlessly focused on inventory. We're relentlessly focused on the supply of, of the shipment and the movements of the goods. So we see that there's challenges last year in terms of ordering patterns. It's not only quantity, but it's just the ordering, ordering patterns themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we have a long creative engine that we're not going to tolerate giving back problems. Sorry, we're not going to tolerate giving back uh, profits as a result of operational issues. That is just not going to happen. 
is not acceptable. Uh, not really what super hard to do, um, and it's just not to be tolerated. So we're we're very focused on this, um, and I think we have the right team in place. I think we have the right individuals. I think we have the right external partners. Um, I think we have the right uh, overall um, company focus to make sure that we achieve our goals that starting in the third quarter. And that's what the whole company has been rallying behind um, for months now. Sorry, sorry. So, Brennan, I understand the, the gist of the answer. I, I think one of our phones is breaking up more. Um, but I guess the, the gist of the question is um, these restructuring initiatives and, and inefficiencies that you're taking on, um, when I look at the long-term EBITDA margin potential, not 2020, but 2021 and beyond, you know, is your aspiration that you can get back to a 19% EBITDA, EBITDA margin or above based on the undertakings right now that you're enduring? I will, I will say from a, from a, I'll take the first part. From an operation perspective, we want to get our, our percentages in, in line from that area of the, of the, uh, of the income statement. They need to be back to normalized rates. And that's what we're very focused on. Right. So Brian, I mean, long term, our goal is to be in that 18% plus zone. That's where we were in, in 17 and 18. Uh, that's where we think we we, we want to be. We've got a lot of levers to pull. And as Renan said, we do not want to have any dilution from warehousing and distribution. That's, that's just basic table stakes for us. There are lots of other levers that we're going to focus on in terms of um, licensing and merchandising income, our product mix, our uh, our productivity, our, our all of our operating leverage issues that we're, we're focusing on getting uh, back to where we want to be. And, Certainly, 18% is the goal. The trajectory to get back there, we, we will not be there in, in 2020, obviously, but we want to be in a position where we have some uh, a very good trajectory to get back there into 2021 and beyond. Yeah, I appreciate that. Not to nitpick here, Mark, but is it not 19% with IFRS 16? Yeah, eight, eight, 20, uh, 2018 was 19.3%, uh, including the IFRS adjustment. That's correct. Okay, well, it sounds good. Thank you very much, guys. And there are no further questions at this time. I'll turn the call back over to Mark. Okay, well, thank you, everyone. Much appreciated. And uh, we look forward to talking to you uh, in August for our Q2 call. Thanks, everyone. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.